Hi and welcome along to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith, and I'm delighted to be joined by a good friend, somebody who I've met over the last few years and uh, we've uh, exchanged a lot of emails. Ian Lafrenier, how are you? I'm fine, Steve. Um, except there's a horrible heat wave here. I'm in California this weekend. There are fires in the hills. We had an earthquake two weeks ago. Uh, we have COVID and Donald Trump. Otherwise, everything's <laughs> really so good. Fantastic. I'm hairier since I spoke to you last, and so are you. Yes, definitely. The beard's coming on, and your hair, uh, yeah. You've... Well, I haven't had a haircut since my... Everyone I know is hairier. <laughs> Fantastic. Great, great to have you on. And uh, obviously, NUFC Matters has grown from strength to strength throughout this horrendous period that we're going through in 2020. And uh, been looking for, for, for like-minded Newcastle fans to get on the show. And, and, and you're as black and white as they come. First and foremost... I just want your take on, you know, on the takeover because obviously you're in, you know, you're in a different country. You're not getting as as much, you know, on the news and the radio as as we are. But what what's what's the takeover been like for you? Well, I go, you know, I, every day I, I I'm on the Chronicle, right? you know, read the Chronicle, but I'm not as well informed as you or or soccer and football. I said soccer, you see. Yeah, that's Sorry it. Sorry about that. Oh my God. Football insiders. Yeah. I, I, when, it, when it all happened, I was very excited. And I thought, you know, new management, what we need is vision and passion as much as money. But, you know, you have to, I was a bit disconcerted by the thought of seeing Ben Salman sitting in Mike Ashley's seat in the stand at Newcastle and that, with, because of all the obvious associations. But what, what I don't understand and what really pisses me off is how it's taken four months for the Premier League to come up with any kind of statement. Of course, in the last 24 hours, the Masters actually has, but it, it doesn't seem to go far enough. And, 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 I, and it just, it, why wasn't it made so long ago? And I think I was asking you before this broadcast, uh, you know, the Football League, uh, the Premier League is a corporation, isn't it? Yeah. Consisting of 20 teams. So you have to believe that most of those 20 teams don't want a financial powerhouse among them. And so there must, I, I just have to believe there's been a bit of deviousness behind the scenes to stop this going through. It's been a or bit maybe of to stop, Maybe to stop any. It's been big, a bit of a cartel, isn't it, Ian? They don't want another, they don't want another. As you say, yeah, the powerhouse at the at the table. Yeah, I have to think that, and it's uh, and therefore, how will that ever be solved if you've got <coughs> if you've got a coalition, uh, a underhand coalition of t other teams who don't want this to happen? Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but what what is the consensus in Geordie Land uh, of of the, of the of the makeover of the people who bid? Are people, do people have reservations or they just want it to happen? They just want to be a team that could go somewhere? I think it's fair to say that, you know, in the early days of the takeover, that, you know, the, you know the, there was a lot of animosity towards it from certain sections. So you had the letters coming in from Amnesty. You had the, uh, the letter from Kasogi's widow. You had the objections from um, various quarters coming in, thick and fast, at least one a week. But... But because the takeover's dragged on, as you quite rightly say, for, for, for just over four months, 
then you know a lot of those a lot of those letters are you know are forgotten I suppose and, and people are just wanting to see the takeover go through. I think the one thing that we've got out of this whole process, if we don't get anything else, is that, you know, although a lot of us genuinely didn't believe Mike Ashley ever wanted to sell the club, we all know now, especially with the, 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 the process coming to a halt, that he does want to sell the club. And yeah. at the moment, because it's the only deal in town, he does want to sell to the Saudis. I think, I think there's always, we always do have to look into, look into what's gone on with, you know, potentially the, you know, the, the you know, the, the misdemeanors of certain people in, in Saudi Arabia in the past. We have to look at that. We can't dismiss it. However, I've pointed out on numerous interviews with the media that, you know, we all have a past. Um, you know, Great Britain, as we know it, has a past. I mean, it's not, it's not so many hundred years ago that we were colonizing everywhere. And, uh, you know, at, 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 the peak, at the peak of our time, we were, we were chief in slave trade. So, you know, there's, there's, there's loads of things you can look at and you think, well, the Saudis are trying to change. They're a changing nation. Um, you know, it's easy to sling mud. And I think, unfortunately for Newcastle fans, we've ended up in this position where we've all had to start flicking through books and looking on the internet to try and understand what the Saudi politics is. And it turns out that there's this huge battle between Saudi Arabia on one side Qatar on the other side, and Newcastle United in the Premier League are stuck in the middle of it. And I hate to say it, but there seems to be a lot of there seems to be a lot of um, politics going on with the Premier League and BN Sports and Qatar. And and you're seeing lots of media people, such as Richard Keyes, for example, just to pick one out of the air, who are coming out and you know they're, they're, they're laying their laying their cards on the table for everyone to see. They don't want it to go through because they have ulterior motives, and it's 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 actually become so annoying. I think for Newcastle fans, we've been on that roller coaster like we are all the time with our football club, but we're now at this point where fans are just angry. You know, they want they want Mike Ashley out of the club, but but you know it looks as if we're stuck with him again because unless there's somebody else comes through, you know, a lot of people feel now that this takeover is dead in the water. How did uh, Qatar, they've never been behind another bid, but are they just being mischievous? Yeah, because it's down to the TV rights, and I think that's what it is. I think it's down to TV money. Um, it's down to, you know, illegal streams that were coming allegedly from Saudi Arabia, but they claim that they've all been stopped now. Um, it's, just, it's just a mess. It's the, best, it's the best way to describe it. It's a mess. And if takeovers, if takeovers are going to go wrong, the one place it's going to go wrong, you can guarantee spectacularly, is Newcastle United. Oh yes, of course, it's like in our DNA. Yeah. That. But 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 what happened with Mr. Henry Morris? <laughs> well, you tell me. You're in America. I mean, where is he? Where, I know where? because I was excited about that because I think he lives quite near me. <laughs> I thought I'd just pop over there, wearing a black and white scarf, uh, even in ninety degrees, and say, "Now listen, Henry." But oh, I, th I know his office is in LA. He's based here, I think. Yeah. I, I don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. He seems to be okay. But I thought he would step in and, and offer, make an offer maybe a bit less and, and save the day. But nothing's happened. No, there seemed to be a lot of faith in that deal going through by one journalist over here from The Telegraph, Luke Edwards. And uh, he's, in fact, champions. Luke, um, Luke Edwards has championed Henry Morris over, over the PCP bid. But you know, four weeks on and uh, we've heard nothing from Henry and a lot of people feel as if that's a red heron that's been thrown in potentially yeah. by Mike Ashley almost to kick the Premier League up the backside to try and hurry them up during the process. But as you rightly say, that the letter that's come out today 
from Richard Masters via Chion Wura, the MP in Newcastle. Um, it's, it's quite a strange one because they're talking about arbitration. Why didn't they take us to arbitration? Well, you don't take anybody to arbitration unless you've had something rejected. And of course, this deal wasn't rejected. PIF, PCP and the Rubens pulled away from the deal. Now, my understanding, the reason that they pulled away from the deal, Ian, is because essentially, um, you know, the deal had gone on too long and they weren't going to get anywhere. So I think this has given them the opportunity to, to break the NDAs and they now have to hope that Mike Ashley, who wants to sell the club, um, will now turn the corkscrews with the Premier League. He'll push legal action if, if he can't sell the football club. That's what they're hoping, of course. What, what is this condition then that the Football League was saying, the Premier League, was saying that you had to specify what your principal entity was that was running the club? Yeah. What did that mean? Stick, you mean you have to, so it's going to be the ruling, but, you know. Yeah, the sticking, point, the sticking point is, Ian, that they're looking at this and seeing that PIF, PCP and the Rubens are the names on the, on the, on, above the door when right. the owners come in. But what the Premier League wanted to say is that, is that it's the Saudi state. They want to say it's the Saudi state. Now, that ties in with the owners and directors test because if you then say that the Saudi state owns the football club, essentially you're saying MBS owns the football club and, you know, I think they're looking for a way to fail them on the owners and directors test. Again, my understanding is that PCP, uh, Amanda Stabley and her husband and the Rubens have taken the owners and directors test and they've passed it. Whereas, you know, there has been obviously concern over PIF and with them being the majority shareholder, of course, they would be well within the rights if they felt that they could to, to reject somebody. So it, as you can see, it's just, it, it's a mess. It's a, it's, it's a web. And when you get in a web, um, like any fly will tell you, it, it becomes difficult to get out. And that's where we appear to be as Newcastle United fans and, and these people involved in the takeover. So we'll start the new season with, what, £30 million to buy new players? We were talking about this on the show the other night and uh, a lot of people were saying it's £35 million, which is great, but that includes wages, Ian. Oh, well, that includes the, the wage deals they have to make. I mean, it doesn't get any better, does it? We're going from, in our, in our dreams 17 weeks ago, hoping to be competing for the likes of Gareth Bale and Ronaldo and Messi, and now we're looking at uh, getting uh, Hendricks on loan. Um, you know, it, it, it's, an absolute, it's an absolute nightmare as a Newcastle fan. I don't have to tell you, you know, you've been through this for years. Well, ne never, on the, never have the stakes been this high. Yeah. But, but, but it, it's terrible. It's oh, just, it is. It, is. it just seems to go from one crisis to another. What about Steve Bruce, Ian? Uh, Steve Bruce is head coach. I mean, he was 11th choice. He, you know, a lot of people knocked, locked, knocked the club back. I mean, was that a, a successful year for, for Steve Bruce, do you think, as head coach last season? Well, it's so weird. It's like everyone is saying it's, it's such a qualified judgment. It's saying, oh, well, actually, he's done better than we thought. Well, you know, it's such a backhanded compliment. Yeah. You know, basically saying we didn't think you'd, you, know, you weren't really in that kind of... A level sophisticated, you know, managers that sexy brands, you know, managers that come from, and, and then Steve saying, Oh, workman like journeyman manager. Obviously, he's a great guy, and it just seems so unfair for him. And now it, it's such a backhanded compliment. Well, we did better than we thought. And in fact, if they hadn't had such a disastrous last six games, you know, we, we, they would, this, this conversation would be more, much more optimistic. 
because yeah. if they hadn't had those awful last six games, they, they probably would have finished 11th. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, that game at Watford, losing to Watford, and, oh, God, oh, don't. It's agony. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you're, back, when you're back in the North East, do you get a chance to go to the games, Ian? Yeah, yeah, well, John Gibson usually arranges that, or Bob Monker. Well, I haven't been to the game for over two years. Uh, I know, I was just laughing, but I was talking to Gibson Gibbo recently, and I was, I was just making him laugh. I said, years ago in the 90s, before um, pre-digital yeah. age, um, I used to call the Evening Chronicle, uh, you know, with eight-hour time difference. Yeah. So I would call uh, to get the result of the game. Uh, but the Evening Chronicle seemed, as soon as they filed the evening paper, they went home. And there was this, the whole building seemed to be in the charge of this one old guy who probably sat in the little cubby hole. He was the night watchman, and he obviously answered the phone. And I would ring up, I think his name was John or Fred, and I'd say, John, it's Ian, Ian Lafrani. Um, and he always answered the phone like someone who, who's, who doesn't believe telephones exist. You know, it's always... Hello? And I used to say, it's Ian. And just what was the score? And he said, oh, Ian? I said, Ian French. Oh, the one in, in Hollywood. And I'd say, yes, John, yeah. What's, so what was the score? He said, I bet the weather is much better there than here. He would never. And I'd say, yeah, probably is. So how are you? I'm fine. So what was the result? And then eventually he would say, we're lost. And <laughs> it was that's how I used to get the results. Fantastic, good stuff. And in fact, there you go, but nothing has much changed in terms of expectations. No, no, you're right, 100%. Nothing, nothing has. As always, Ian, we always put out um, a shout out for questions, you know, when, when, we, when we record on Zoom. I've uh, got some great questions from supporters and it uh, gives them a unique opportunity to be able to ask you a few questions. So, um, Afrida Zain Pet on Twitter, it's the official Afrida Zain Pet account. They've sent some great questions in. Um, basically, the first one is: Please put put the rest for the fans of the show. Why did three Geordies who go went who went to a match go to a Sunderland game? Uh, <laughs> I needed a plot. <laughs> well, actually, in I think if I remember, they did rationalise it. They did say it's better than nothing. Yeah. Newcastle weren't in the were in the second division there. Sunderland weren't, and they and they did play a game in Europe, and and it was basically it's better than nothing. That was the attitude. The reason Oz ended up wearing a scarf was because he got pissed, and ended up on a charter flight back to Tyneside, with with all the Sunderland supporters, and yeah. obviously someone had wrapped a scarf around his head. But I've had to take a lot of stick on that one. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Cossey asks, uh, Steve, could you ask Ian what his inspiration was for Athletes in Pet and what his first impressions of the stars of the show were before they became famous? Well, first of all, the idea came from Frank Rodham. Frank was a film director who was from Stockton and, and he made Quadrophenia in those days, Frank. And, he, and he, he just went back home for a visit and met his old mate uh, who he'd been at school with. And the, it was his friend. He said, what are you doing? And he told him, I'm working on German uh, building sites in Germany. And then Frank 
uh, had lunch with Dick and I and said, I, don't you think this is a great idea? It was the idea that they were rebuilding the city that their fathers had bombed in the first place and that they were living in a hut rather like a prisoner of war stalag. And we said, oh, God, yes. It, it was just, so it was Frank's idea. And then, then, of course, we had to create all the characters. What was the second question about the actors? Yeah, what, what were your first impressions of, of the, the actors who got the, got the roles? Because obviously the casting side of it, you know, we know a lot of stories about them. Tim and Kevin from their other work and we said, they, they've got to be in it. Uh, Jimmy was the, 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 the unknown quantity. They, they had casting sessions in Newcastle and then they would bring shortlisted people down to London. And I remember they said, well, we're taking a bit of a risk on this guy. He just walked in off the street. He's a, he works in a glass factory or something. Uh, but he has got an equity card because he's in a band called the Crabs. Uh, and when he walked in, when, he, when Jimmy walked into the rehearsal room in London, Dick whispered to me, please, please let him just be able to act a little because he just looked so perfect. And he could act a little. Uh, Tim Spall was a later one, uh, and so was Chris Fairbanks, but that was because of different casting problems. But I mean, we were just delighted with the entire cast. Yeah. Never realized how good they were. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's one of those timeless programs. A lot, of, a lot of questions coming in about that. Barry Bowerbank and Jordi Ash on Twitter both asked the same question. Uh, Jordi Ash also points out says, Tim Healy and Noel Clark have recently expressed interest in doing more Afi to Zane Pet. Would Dick Clement and yourself be on board for putting one more series together? And Barry Boerbank asks the same question. Any chance of any more Afi to Zane Pet? Well, it doesn't make much sense for guys in their 60s to be working on building sites. Um, uh, it's very... No, every time... You know, when we, were, when we brought the series back in 2002, what, you know, we the idea was mooted by Jimmy and Frank. Um, so what we did, we all met for a lunch in London, all the cast. And everyone, it was quite obvious, no one needed to do it. You know what I mean? Everyone was doing their own thing, successful and others. They just wanted to. They loved each other's company and they loved the uh, acting relationship they had. It was, it, was, it was just like, okay, we have to do it. I mean, Dick and I were on a hiding to nothing as the writers, because then you could see the reviews. Oh, they brought this back. You know what I mean? But, yeah. but thankfully, everyone enjoyed it. I loved bringing it back. I loved the, I loved the series in Cuba. So uh, it, it was a, an extraordinary bonhomie bond between that group of actors, which still exists today. And of course, Sunday for Sammy brings them together uh, every so often. And the, 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 it's just a f friendships that will last for life. But I can't see them all coming back. No, no, no. It's I, don't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to write. I ran out of steam. <laughs> I mean, you know, we bring the, we have to write a sketch or two for them every Sunday for Sammy. And that's hard enough. Yeah. Another great series that obviously you're involved with was The Likely Lads. And a couple of questions coming in from, uh, from people on Twitter on that one. Uh, Annie uh, at Tori on Twitter says, where would Bob and Terry be today? And would Bob have voted Brexit? 
and Bob would have voted. I think Terry would have been a Remainer. Mm -hmm. we, we always had in our minds a scenario in the future. What happened, you know, Bob worked hard. He was solid. He was industrious. He was a good father, a good husband. And eventually he, he started his own business, but, but everything went to shit. <laughs> Terry uh, was driving over the limit and had a car crash and copped an enormous amount of money for insurance and bought a much bigger house than Bob. And we had another, and I think Bob's daughter, Bob's daughter ended up in rehab. His son was a roadie for Oasis. We had a whole scenario written once, but that was in the nineties. God knows now, come on. Fantastic, fantastic. Honestly, it's, it's, again, it's timeless really, you know, I mean, obviously it's, it's in its particular era, but again, those scripts are fantastic. Uh, yeah. People coming out with lines, Nick Ross says, Tell Ian the line from the Lightly Lads, Terry to Bob. I'd offer you a beer, but I've only got six. Has to be the best line in comedy. And uh, Jordy Ash follows up with, I think the line while playing cards in the caravan and Terry goes outside to answer a call of nature. And Thelma comments, it's the first time she's known what being in his hand all night maybe even tops it. So lots of people with lots of fond memories. It must be pleasing when you, when you know people can just recall your scripts like that. Oh yeah, it's wonderful. It's fantastic. I mean, the, the disadvantage is that you can, people keep talking about the past as if I would stop working, you know, if we hadn't done anything for the last 20 years. And of course, well, the truth is we've had lots of things done in the recent years. In fact, we would have had two films shooting this year, one, one a film about the kinks mm -hmm. um, and another film about a famous heist, a bit like our film, The Bank Job, but... Uh, set in 2000 but of course with covid everything was cancelled but on the other hand with covid we dick and i we've just been writing on spec you know what i mean and we have two series ready if things change uh we we stopped working together we work on facetime mm -hmm. uh which is quite interesting because having got used to facetime my wife says you well you don't you could now be anywhere in the world you know, and still work. Yeah. That, that, that things change. But so we're working away. And, uh, but I must admit that, that I, I, I think whatever happened to the Lighty Lads is probably my favorite of, of, of all the things because it was the first time we really pulled it off. You know what I mean? The yeah. original Lighty Lads, we didn't know what we were doing. We were 25 years, 24 years of age. You know what I mean? But but that was the the one that kind of I felt cemented this, and I, and I can watch them again. You know, I mean, not knocking porridge, Jesus, but um, I, I, I'm I'm particularly fond. And then, and of course, when the second then going up and filming in Newcastle, you know what I mean, and actually being there and saying this is where the series is set. We'd been a bit vague in the original yeah. because there were so few Geordie actors around. Stuart Smith says, uh, I hope you're keeping well, Ian. As a fellow Whitley Bay lad, I used to love the show and how you dropped in the names of a number of Whitley Bay hostilities into the Lightly Lads scripts. Um, Brian Welsh says, just tell him as a Jarrah lad who moved away from home in 1992, thank you. I spent many hours watching that Bay the Zane pet to keep me sane to the point my old monk mates loved it. Uh, Christian Ross says, uh, He's got three questions, all Athena's in pet related. He says, was it simply due to the budget that a lot of the filming wasn't done in Newcastle? 
Uh, yes, probably. But of course, oh, what happened? Have you gone? No, no, I'm still here. I'm still here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I lo yeah, I lost, uh, I lost vision, but that doesn't matter as long as we can carry on. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, you know the yeah. I mean, filming in Germany was expensive mm -hmm. in Hamburg, and then building the the building site in Elstree Studios. Um, but you know, all the stories. I mean, the point of the series was these guys were in a captive situation. So we didn't want them to go back and forwards, you know what I mean? But we did shoot in Newcastle. Yeah. The, one that, the one that had the most locations was called Marjorie Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Uh, and that was the one with the, with the Sunderland scarf. And he came home. And so we did shoot. In, it, when the story said Newcastle, unless it was just inside a house, we, we did shoot there. Uh, he also asks, what was the breakdown between the UK government and Cuba? led to series four being filmed in the dominican republic well we went to cuba dick and i jimmy and frank and we couldn't come up with a plot we couldn't we couldn't find a reason why the lads would be in cuba and i i it was my idea to go to cuba and i, I just said it sounds so sexy but then when, the last day we were there we were asked to have tea at the british consulate and we were all in a really bad mood because we were going to go home without any idea. And they suddenly mentioned that there was a British government department that hired um, British workmen to do embassies, fix embassies all over the world. And we couldn't believe it. We, we had a plot. We had a reason why they went there. Uh, uh, but we gave the script to the Cuban. They were very helpful. We traveled everywhere. We saw rehearsals of bands, concerts, the ballet. We were given a uh, uh, guide to it. But then someone in the government read the script and said no. So what we did was we pretended someone else applied. We were shooting a music video. So we got a lot of master shots of Havana. And then we kind of, then we shot in the Dominican Republic and matched those shots together quite brilliantly. But that was the reason someone in the Cuban government didn't like our feet as in pet. <laughs> Christian Rock. Can you believe it? What? I mean, they had a revolution. You'd think they'd identify with our working class lads, wouldn't you? You would have thought so. Yeah, Christian, I mean, come Christian, on. Christian's final question is, uh, was the BBC preferred over ITV for series three as the time slot was bigger? Can't remember. I mean, I think ITV for some reason didn't want it. Mm. I don't know if it was the time. I don't, I can't remember anything to do with time slots. I think the deal was made with the BBC and it must have been because ITV thought, uh, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. Ha ha ha. Strange, isn't it? Strange when you think about the big success that, that you know, that it was. Um, I mean, for, for me, for me, I think... Well, just to interrupt you. When we wrote Whatever Happened to the Likely Lads, uh, the BBC hummed and hawed. Mm -hmm. And then Dick and I wrote the whole first series on spec. We had every episode written. And ITV were going to do it. And then when BBC found that out, they then jumped in and said, no, no, we, we'll do it. Mm -hmm. Ian Crow asks, could you ask Ian why there was no Geordie characters in Porridge? Um, uh, probably because I just spent three years writing whatever happened to the likely that. 
<laughs> and it looked like it was nepotism or a bit chauvinistic. Or people said, oh, you can't have another Geordie in it. Mm -hmm. It's quite an interesting question. Yeah, I, that, that is interesting. I've never asked myself that. Maybe it was Dick. I'll blame Dick. <laughs> I'm, I'm, sick of, I'm sick of having to do a Geordie accent when we're writing. Yeah. Yeah, let's blame Dick. Okay, we'll blame Dick. Dutsky says, uh, could you ask him about the fallout between James Bolton and Rodney Buse? He says, it's such a shame they never made up before Rodney's death. The crime there wasn't anymore. Yeah. Was there fallout? Well, there wasn't really a fallout. It's been so exaggerated. I mean, it's just that, um, you know, they didn't socialise. Jimmy was, uh, Jimmy was, uh, he always resisted being too identified with the character. You know what I mean? His work was so versatile. But, but everywhere he went for years, people would, you know, call him Terry. Uh, but, it, but it was nothing to do with his antagonist. When there was not a hint of uh, unpleasantness between them working together, they worked together so well. And in fact, Jimmy wrote, I think when Rodney died, I think Jimmy wrote a very nice piece, obituary piece, yeah. where he said it was so exaggerated. Uh, 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 the, you know, the, the, their relationship it was just, they didn't hang out together, you know? Yeah. Whitburn Marg asks, is it true that Jimmy Neal wasn't very easy to work with on Afbeater's Impet? No, Jimmy was fine. Jimmy, in, in the first series, obviously, he, he was nervous uh, because he, of what he was being asked to do. Uh, and I remember one night in Hamburg, I think in the bar, he said to Tim Spall, he said, I can't believe this is happening to me. You know, I was uh, back home doing this, doing that, and now I'm an actor and a bloody series. And I'm, I'm in, staying in this hotel. And, and, and Tim very shrewdly says, you're home, Jim. Meaning this is your home from now on. You know, the acting community. And I think it had a profound effect on Jimmy. Jimmy got a bit awkward and beady, especially with me, in the second series, because he didn't feel it had the grittiness of the integrity of the first, uh, and he used to get a bit beady about it. Uh, but he was right, so I, I will. I've always respected his opinions ever since. Obviously, you wrote television, but you also wrote films, and and and, and Ronnie Barger, you know, obviously was was a huge. A huge success with with porridge. Some great actors in that as well. Um, did you find it easier writing TV, or did you find it easier writing film? Oh, I don't mind. It's not easy. It's just different. You know, TV's half an hour plot. A film has to exist over a hundred minutes. Um, I don't mind. We, I mean, we've been writing theatre recently. We would have had a play on now if it hadn't been for COVID. I'd, we had a, it was on in London last year, and it was going to go to Dublin and America this year. Uh, it's writing, you know, Dick and I were storytellers and that takes different forms, movie, TV, theatre. I mean, I'll, write a a I'll write a wedding speech for you if you want, anyone out there. <laughs> John Gibson, maybe he'd like me to write a wedding speech. I've got to be honest, well, I had John and Super Mag on last night, they both passed on the best to you, mate. The, I know they're oh, good, yes, good friends. Great guys, great guys. Um, another, another question I ask, I'm, as an actor, um, I'm, I obviously observe, I look at people and you, you pick up mannerisms, you pick up different expressions and different ways and you take that into the, the characters that you perform. Is that, you know, do you use the similar kind of technique when you're writing for, for characters that you create? Well, we're the first person 
you know, people who read the lines, and and we do read them out loud, and it's and it, which is quite funny, of course, because sometimes they're Russian, sometimes a black rapper we find difficulty. Yeah. But we enjoy, you know, we're quite good with accents. Yeah, we read them loud in all these different accents. Uh, yeah. We always think that that's the best it'll ever be, which of course is so conceited. <laughs> but, it, but the best part of writing, the best part of the whole process is when, because so much stuff isn't done, hundreds of scripts just not done, sit in your laptop or on your shelf. And so there's so much frustration. So suddenly when you're in a, the first day there's a read through, that's what happens when, 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 when something's cast, then there's a read through. All, all the actors sit around a table drinking really bad coffee uh, and everyone's a bit nervous and they read the script and it's the first time you hear the actors read it. And that, that is just a moment of such relief and elation because you think it's going to happen. It's now going to go from the page in my head uh, <coughs> into and be realized. With that in mind, what was the process like for one of my favorite films, which was Villain, uh, starring Richard Burton? Did you did you have a similar uh, similar read through with Richard Burton and the cast of that? Oh, that's a long time ago. I thought you were going to mention the bank job, <laughs> which is much more recent. No, I don't remember a read through with Richard Burton. Um, he probably felt it was not necessary. Um, no, there was no read through on that film. The best one was on the commitments. That was just such fun. All those Irish kids, most of whom had never acted before, and two were dyslectic. So that read through was an absolute shambles. But what fun! Yeah, and what a and what a film it turned out to be. Last one, last one on villain. Again, it's a personal personal question for me. But was that based on Ronnie Craig? Because there was a lot of a lot of people who watched that film seemed to have the connection. You know. Psych psychopathic gangster, um, you know, possibly schizophrenic, mother fascination, you know, it was... Yeah, no, yes, I know what you mean. I mean, it was very similar, mother, yeah, with his mother fixation and homosexual. Uh, but in fact, the, the, it was based on a novel called The Burden of Proof. And I remember, and God, it's gone back in the 70s, and we were so naive about movies and young, but I remember getting a call, a question like this from, from the Evening Standard. And the journalist said, so is this based on the Cray brothers? And of course the Cray brothers, night were still around. <laughs> Dick and I looked at each other and said, oh shit, and denied it, you know, vehemently. Of course not, because we didn't fancy retribution from those boys in the East End. Exactly, yeah. Fascinating film. If anybody hasn't watched Villain, I, I urge you to watch it. Fantastic film. Another one which Newcastle United fans will be interested in, of course, Ian, is Goal. In, uh, two, back in 2005, you were involved in that. I was actually an extra in that in my the start of my... my well, Goal is directed by Danny Kennett. I think it's a really good film. Um, I really enjoy it, uh, watching it. And, uh, and we were going to do this. We wrote uh, the sequel. But the people, the producer, he was, oh, I'm not going to say what he was, but he dumped Dick and I and the director, Danny Cannon, mm. having made that good film. And he made, they made two more and they're dreadful. 
so if anyone wants to watch gold just watch the dream begins yeah 100% well worth a watch I think a lot of Newcastle fans do enjoy watching do oh, enjoy I, I was in ecstasy I mean I, I you know I was there uh, what's his name uh, uh, who's manager uh, of Newcastle uh, Graeme Sooners yeah he took us to dinner Freddie Shepherd took us out then we went to the training room. so I, I was like I was just hanging out with real players there was Alan Shearer was there Alan was there Michael Owen was there um, uh, Bellamy the, the, this was the players of that generation um, or oh, the other good player anyhow here in Jimmy and Janis it was that era wasn't it yeah Janis was there but for a couple of the actors mm -hmm. uh, the, the, who were soccer fans the, 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 this was the best job ever yeah. And I thought Danny Cannon made Newcastle look great. He, he just had such great locations. Uh, no. it's, it's such a good looking film. It's a great look at the Northeast. <coughs> no, it is fantastic. You mentioned the bank job. So let's, let's just talk briefly about that. I didn't realize until I watched it, uh, you know, watched it again that Mick Jagger actually appears in that as a bank safe deposit employee. Um, in, in the film, but Jason Statham obviously is the lead role. Um, but you know, what, what was it like? You know, what was it like seeing Jason bring your character to life? Oh, he was great, Jason. I mean, he was just so perfect. Um, we, we, we wrote a bank sequel to the bank job, uh, but but we've never been able to have a talk to him about it. Uh, he did a great job, Jason. I loved that film, it was shot on a very low budget. Uh, but, but it's certainly one of my favorite films. It's, it's uh, and because it's based on so much truth and murky truth, it makes it you know a bit more titillating. Yeah, but I mean, Jason stayed. I mean, Jason wasn't a big star then, but now, of course, we couldn't afford him. <laughs> <laughs> the film industry's changed a lot, and, and TV's changed a lot. Reality televisions come in, and it, you know it dominates. You know, dominates the the major slots these days. Um, do you think, you know, the, the stuff that you created, which, you know, we all, which we all know and love, do you think that, you know, that it's, it's, it's seen its day now? Do you think that's going to be, you know, do, do you think we're stuck with this horrendous reality or do you think we'll have a, a second phase of creative people writing top-class dramas and comedies coming through? Oh, I think, but I'm, I don't know about comedy because, and I'm, I'm not writing, watching British comedy every night, obviously. So I can't comment on it. You know, I've got some programs I really like, but 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 I think in terms for writer, in terms of drama, it's it's never been better. I mean, the 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 drama series coming out of Britain and America. I mean, and now all the new series because of streaming uh, are for the most part fantastic. Uh, I think this is a golden age of drama, and of course, and most of it is now on the small screen, not the big screen. Uh, so, I mean, I couldn't write, I could write a period piece in Britain, you know what I mean? Like we did Spies of Warsaw about three years ago with David Tennant. But I, I, I would find it very difficult to write uh, like a comedy, not drama, in Britain because I'm not in touch and, and, and everything changes so quickly. Slang, references, context, music. You know what I mean? You, 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 I, I just, I just uh, would never attempt it. Yeah. 
Uh, last question from uh, Twitter tonight is from Sean, and it's a simple one. He says, is Ian Lafrenier going to buy Newcastle United? Ian Lafrenier is not a rich man. Uh, <laughs> but if I was a rich man, uh, I would, I would, it would be a fantasy. Is Ian Lafrenier going to be like, um, I thought he was going to say, is he going to buy Blythe Spartans? Just have things in proportion. <laughs> Just blame it on I, Ian Lafrenier is not. I'm, but God, I hope someone does. And I hope it's someone that comes out of left field and everyone thinks that's a fantastic idea. It doesn't look like it's going to be Mr. Morris, does it? No, unless you knock on his door. Oh, God, let's not end the conversation on a sad note. We started on a sad note. We did. Well, look, you know, what's, you know, what's, yeah, what's, what are you working on at the minute and what's your hopes for the future, Ian? T tell us what, you know, what, what the situation uh, is. We're working on a drama series about Marlene Dietrich. We're working on a comedy, which is a rock and roll comedy. It's just out to an actor at the moment who talking, we talk to every day. I'm not going to say who it is, but he's very well known. Uh, of course, nothing will be pushed forward. Nothing will be green lit or put into production until COVID is over. Uh, and as I told you, the film about the kinks is on hold for that reason. Everything's on COVID hold. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, I just have a great love of life, a great belief that everything's going to be good. Yeah. I just, I'm blessed. Uh, uh, I, you know, I think you, someone clever than me said, you, you serve the universe best by doing what you love most. And uh, I've been blessed by working every day on what I love most. Yeah. That is such a good note to end on, Steve, don't you think? I think it's great, Ian. As, as all good scriptwriters, you've started well, you've got a good meaty middle, and you've finished uh, it. <laughs> oh, my God. I'll talk to you after the first game. Look forward to it. Ian Lafrenia, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, mate. Take care of yourself. Yeah, it's been a great joy. My love to everyone out there, all you fans. How are you, the lads? Top man. Thank you very much. Bye, Steve. <laughs>